This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, using a well-known party drug to treat PTSD. We believe that the therapy with MDMA can help people change their internal relationship with their trauma rather than just help the participant manage their symptoms. Ecstasy and PTSD, when Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Nancy Benson, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show. Here's a preview of what they're covering on Viewpoints this week. This week on Viewpoints. This is the single biggest unsolved crime in American history, and I'm going to guess that your listeners have never even heard of it. Despite our best efforts, there are some attacks that our history books have largely forgotten. Then, hearing the Beatles became not the joyful thing it had been my whole life, but really painful. One woman's journey through Beatle mania, from youthful innocence to adulthood trauma and loss. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station, iTunes and Stitcher. More than 7 million Americans suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, a result of being physically harmed, threatened with harm, or seeing someone else harmed or threatened. Car crashes are the number one cause of PTSD, but it's also common after natural disasters, sexual assault, or combat exposure. The Department of Veterans Affairs estimates that about 11% of veterans of the war in Afghanistan 20% of Iraqi war veterans and 30% of Vietnam war veterans still suffer from PTSD. That's because while most people with the disorder recover in a few weeks or months, some never do, and the symptoms can go on for years. Well, you know, things like anxiety, hyperarousal symptoms, difficulty sleep, anxiety, increased startle response. They also can include intrusive memories or flashbacks or nightmares, re-experiencing the trauma, and it includes changes in mood and cognition, kind of skewed in a negative direction. That's Dr. Michael Mithofer, clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at the Medical University of South Carolina and medical director of the MAPS Public Benefit Corporation in its clinical trials. There are avoidance symptoms. People tend to avoid places or people that remind them of the trauma, which can sometimes keep people really limited in their activities. And there's also an inner kind of avoidance, an emotional numbing or an emotional avoidance. It turns out this is a combination of symptoms that can be very debilitating, that can interfere with relationships a lot and can interfere with people working. There's also a high incidence of medical problems associated with PTSD. Those symptoms impede recovery and make PTSD very hard to treat. Right now, there's no consistently successful drug treatment for PTSD. The current standard treatment for PTSD is an SSRI. The two approved SSRIs or antidepressants are Paxil and Zoloft. Charlotte Harrison is Senior Clinical Research Associate for the MAPS Public Benefit Corporation. Some people have success with these therapies, but usually they're more effective for women and people with PTSD. They did not show efficacy in men in their clinical trials. And so these SSRIs are taken 
daily, usually for years, well beyond the clinical trial period that they ran through, which was only 12 weeks. These SSRIs are not always well tolerated because of side effects and sometimes are difficult to discontinue. People often take them for years and still have PTSD. Because there's no drug that cures PTSD, the Department of Veterans Affairs has come out with statements that psychotherapy is a first-line treatment. However, psychotherapy relies on patients facing their trauma. People with PTSD can't do that. People with PTSD have experienced memories that are very difficult to face and process. So they experience incredible flashbacks, nightmares, and lots of symptoms that are really uncomfortable and can lead to social isolation. So for self-preservation, people with PTSD often avoid reminders of their traumas or thinking about their trauma. And this can make effective psychotherapy very difficult if you aren't able to really talk about what's going on and what happened to you with a therapist. That's why researchers with MAPS have sought a different approach. MAPS stands for Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. It's a nonprofit organization that funds and facilitates research into beneficial uses of controlled substances. One of those drugs is MDMA, best known as the main ingredient in the club drug Ecstasy, or Molly. Mithofer says before MDMA was banned, a few therapists had tried it to assist in the treatment of PTSD. At that time, it was not an approved drug, but it was not illegal either. So Dr. Zeff and others found that it could be helpful to kind of as an adjunct to psychotherapy. That work ended in 1985 when the DEA put MDMA on the list of Schedule I drugs, readily abusable with no currently accepted medical use. So at that point, all the legal therapeutic use stopped. Of course, recreational use continued to grow quite a lot after that. And it became much more difficult to do research then. A Schedule One drug is much more challenging to get all the approvals and do research. And also there wasn't funding for this kind of research. But the research had enough promise that scientists kept trying. Since 2004, MAPS has worked with the FDA and DEA to complete six Phase II clinical trials using MDMA to help treat PTSD. But importantly, it's not the drug doing most of the work. This is different from most drug studies, even though it's officially a drug study with the FDA. We're not just studying the drug. We're studying the drug as a catalyst, as an augmentation for psychotherapy. It's not a take-home drug. People only take the MDMA three times a month apart during the study, during eight-hour psychotherapy sessions. The drug is administered directly to the person by the therapist. And again, they only receive the drug a total of three times. And that is after careful preparation and screening. And then there's also careful follow-up to help people integrate the experience they've had during their all-day MDMA session with two therapists present. While patients with PTSD usually can't talk about their experiences, those who've been given MDMA appear to be able to break through that barrier. What we do know is that MDMA decreases activity in the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain. And it also increases activity in the prefrontal cortex, which is kind of the higher processing center of the brain. What we observe is that people with MDMA are much more likely to be able to really face their trauma, talk about it, think about it, 
express emotions about it without being overwhelmed, but also without being cut off from their emotions or having them being sedated. It also increases the presence of neurohormones like serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, and these can increase the feelings of empathy, interpersonal trust between therapist and the patient, and self-compassion. MDMA in the treatment of PTSD with psychotherapy can help people really get to the root of their trauma and begin to heal. Harrison says phase two trials have shown a remarkable success rate, far higher than anything else in use. Our phase two trials demonstrated a 47-point drop in the PTSD score on the CAPS assessment, which is the gold standard for measuring PTSD. The SSRI trials demonstrated only a 6- to 14-point drop. So our point drop for the PTSD scale was significantly higher. After two to three sessions of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, 56% of our participants no longer qualified for a PTSD diagnosis. But the follow-up, which was a year after their last session, 68% no longer qualified for PTSD. So an increase from the number who no longer qualified at the end, meaning this process of healing can unfold over time and continue improving. We've seen these people that have been in the clinical trials have all had severe PTSD and have all had prior treatment. And we've seen people who have told us it saved their life, that didn't think they'd still be alive if they hadn't finally gotten a treatment that helped. So I don't want to suggest that it's a panacea. Of course, like anything, it works better for some people than for others. But I do think it would be a major advance. But what about the fact that MDMA is ecstasy, the rave and party drug, at least in most people's minds? It presumably wouldn't be on Schedule 1 if it weren't dangerous. Ecstasy is not the same as MDMA. Ecstasy is a drug that can contain MDMA or may and usually is represented as containing MDMA, but often contains other drugs or is kind of mixed. So the doses are generally unknown. So any drug that you don't know exactly what you're taking or how much can be very dangerous. But during the hearings about banning MDMA, all of the medical and scientific testimony supporting that in controlled settings, there is relative safety and there are clear benefits through psychotherapy, all of that testimony was ignored by the DEA at the time. And so now we're seeing this resurgence in people understanding that there is benefit to MDMA, and now we're doing the research to demonstrate that. It's understandable that people may be skittish because it's illegal and because it can be it's used recreationally a lot. And there have been some serious health problems and even deaths in people using it un- uncontrolled situations. But I think the reason people maybe are skittish is they don't really realize the difference between the way we're using it, pure MDMA, in people who have been screened to make sure they don't have some serious medical problem that could be dangerous. As people are realizing that it actually has a good safety profile when it's used in screened people in these controlled conditions, I think little by little people are beginning to understand This is serious research, and it can be used safely. Government regulators seem to agree. 
The FDA has reviewed our studies and our data so far and has granted us what they call breakthrough therapy designation. This means they see our therapy and our drug as a huge improvement over the existing therapies, and they're working with us to get this drug through the approval process and to market as quickly as possible. However, the FDA isn't the DEA. But Mithofer says if the FDA says the drug is important enough, they'll go along. If it gets an approved indication from the FDA for treatment of PTSD in this case, I think it will, the legalization will follow. You know, it'll still be illegal to use outside of medical context. It'll be carefully controlled, but I don't think that part will be a problem. You won't be able to get it at the drugstore. It will be shipped directly from the manufacturer to the therapist in a licensed clinic. So the clinics will have to have a special license to make sure the therapists and the physician have proper training in how to use MBMA safely and have a proper setting in how to use it safely and effectively. However, the final answers aren't all in. Phase 3 trials haven't started yet, though MAPS is recruiting people with PTSD who haven't been helped elsewhere. More information on those trials is available on their website, maps.org. That's maps.org. If those trials go well, Harrison believes approval could come as early as 2021. If MDMA delivers on its promise, finally millions of people who find agony in every day could get relief. You can find out more information about all of our guests through links on our website, radiohealthjournal.net. I'm Reed Pence. A new study shows that people who live in noisy places have more than three times the risk of a heart attack, stroke, or other major cardiovascular event compared to people who live in quiet environments. The study, presented at the American Heart Association's Scientific Sessions 2018, finds that chronic noise triggers activity in an area of the brain that regulates stress and emotional responses. This, in turn, stimulates inflammation in the blood vessels, according to study author Dr. Michael Osborne of Massachusetts General Hospital. We are now tracing the physiological mechanisms connecting ambient noise with cardiovascular disease. Inflammation in the blood vessels is a well-known risk factor for cardiovascular disease, but more research is needed to determine whether reductions in noise could lower inflammation and heart disease risk. Dr. Osborne says the findings should propel doctors to consider chronic noise exposure as an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please call this toll-free number right now. 800-279-0419. That's 800-279-0419. By calling your addiction team, you're taking the first steps to recovery. Don't fight addiction alone. Their advisors are ready to take your call. Your future is still a bright place. The help you need could be one call away. 800-279-0419. That's 800-279-0419. This call is completely confidential. And if you have private insurance, there could be little to no cost to you. Even if you've already been to treatment, give us a call. There's no need to let addiction ruin your life. Take the first step now. Call your addiction team at 800-279-0419. That's 800-279-0419. Make the free call now. 800-279-0419. Your addiction team is a third-party advertiser for various treatment centers and placement networks. Individual results will vary. Visit youraddictionteam.com slash terms for more information. Lots of things about the holidays can cause heartburn. Food, football, even family. 
But if you have chronic heartburn, it's time to think differently about it. Everyday symptoms may lead to something more serious in the esophagus that could progress to cancer. Now it's more important than ever to find out if there's something else going on, according to Dr. Stephen Mundowitz of the American Society for Gastrointestinal Endoscopy. Chronic heartburn can lead to the presence of cells in the esophagus that are precancerous but still harmless. Recent advances in technology mean that now gastroenterologists can better detect and treat or remove those cells. We can help prevent esophageal cancer before it starts. Men over 55 with chronic heartburn are at higher risk, but everyone deserves the best possible protection against developing esophageal cancer. Visit PreventHeartburnCancer.org to learn more and find a gastroenterologist near you. That's PreventHeartburnCancer.org. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.